Welcome to APQC's podcast. I'm Holly Lake Hoagland, Principal Research Lead for Process and Performance Management. I'm joined today by one of the keynote speakers for our upcoming Process and Knowledge Management Conference in October. This year's conference theme is Navigate the Now, which will bring together professionals across a broad array of disciplines to pinpoint practical ideas, to overcome what's in front of them immediately, and to cultivate their capabilities for what's next. And I'm joined today by Bill Benjamin from the Institute for Health and Human Potential. Bill is a trainer, a thought leader, a speaker, and an author. He was a contributor to the New York Times bestseller, Performing Under Pressure. I will be presenting a keynote on the science of emotional intelligence. Thank you so very much for joining us today, Bill. Hey, Holly. It's great to be here, and I'm really excited about uh, presenting emotional intelligence at the conference in October. Excellent. Well, I'm excited to for that presentation as well as our conversation today. I'm a big fan of emotional intelligence and how we can use it in the work we do. Mm-hmm. Um, but emotional intelligence tends to be one of those words that people seem to have vastly different definitions depending on who you ask. Sure. Uh, would you mind sharing your definition? Sure. Um, in our definition, there's really two parts to it. And in most definitions, um, you know, Dan Goleman originally wrote the book Emotional Intelligence. Um, there's two parts to it. Um, there's the ability to recognize, understand, and manage our own emotions. So that's the self-awareness and the, our, our own emotional management. And the second part is the ability to recognize, understand, and influence the emotions of others. So that's how we engage and in, in impact others. And you know, the, the other piece that we really look at when we define emotional intelligence in our training, and I'll do this in, in, in the keynote, is we look at the brain science behind it. Um, because a lot of times, and I know I did, uh, I thought uh, emotional intelligence was just something soft and squishy, um, but there's really some brain science to it. And so when we define emotional intelligence, we look at it from a brain perspective. Right. A lot of looking at how we develop patterns, um, how we de- can control reactions to things, and being able to understand that not just in ourselves, but in how others do it as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I know we're going to talk a little bit about change, but I mean, emotional brains don't like change, for example. Right. And so when the emotional brain hears about a change, it immediately reacts and it actually moves us to some fight or flight responses. So that's why people resist or they're, or they're passively aggressive. Or so, you know, it, again, it's what's happening in the brain and, and there's chemicals being released into our body and our brain that are causing some of these behaviors and reactions. Excellent. Thank you very much for that, for that kind of scoping of what we're ta- going to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that's been coming up is that emotional intelligence is becoming a much more popular topic. Yeah. Um, why do you think that cultivating emotional intelligence or EIQ has become so important in today's business environment? Yeah, well, I, I would argue that it's always been important. I think it's just, as you said, that uh, organizations are recognizing its importance. And I mean, with COVID, I mean, COVID just created so many emotions for people, right? Just fear and uncertainty and change. Um, I mean, it was just so challenging and it brought up so many emotions. So I think, I mean, A, people are just recognizing they've had to manage a lot of their own emotions, right? The the fear of the virus, the having to work at home, the change in in, in the work environment. Um, You know, so many many organizations had to go through structural changes. So I think people have recognized, A, their, their individual need to manage emotions more skillfully and organizations are really getting that, okay, then leaders had to not only manage their own emotions and model, right, right. lead by example, but they had to learn how to coach and engage and connect with their employees 
and help them manage through those emotions. So I think organiz- I think COVID really brought up a lot of emotions that help organizations understand why being emotionally intelligent in the way you react and, and coach is so important. I think one of the other things that looking through like the, the last year in the COVID experience is I think we've become a lot more humanized mm-hmm. in our interactions in general. A lot of ways people, I mean, people become much more forgiving and look at people as individuals as we're communicating and interacting with one another as well. Yeah, absolutely. I and mean, again, I think because each person is going through their own emotional responses and reactions, right. we need to have more empathy for others. Right. And, you know, I, I think you know how important empathy is as a leadership competency. Again, you know, this, it always sounds like something soft and squishy, but it's a critical leadership competency, um, you know, especially during these times. Right. And, and you guys know when I talk about leadership, I don't just mean people in formal management positions. I know a lot of people in your uh, in, in your audience, your, your members, they're, they're leading without authority, um, but they're wanting to influence they're wanting to, you know, again, lead others without authority. And so when I say leadership, that applies to everyone. Everyone's a personal leader. Right. Anything, um, anyone that can have that, that ability to mentor, lead, and, and help others along the way. So, okay. Yep. Or, or, or just needing to influence others, needing to drive right. change. Right. And you brought up the, the word change, which I know is a huge thing that's been happening over the last year. Um, so one of the research projects we did recently has been on change management. And what the research showed I was super excited about is that a lot of organizations are moving from what I call check the box change, right? We hit our milestones. We've done our training. This has all been rolled out. Our push communications are done. And they're really starting to focus on driving new behaviors. Mm -hmm. Um, So how do you think that EIQ can help organizations make this shift from that check the box to behavior-driven change? I love that you brought this up because change is just such an important part of what's happening in organizations. And we actually have a program called All Change is Personal. Mm-hmm. And most organizations, they get the systems and the processes and the milestones, all the stuff you've talked about, all the check the box stuff. Right. But they forget the personal part of it. They forget the degree to which change impacts people at an emotional level. So if you are going to avoid the kind of resistance you might see, the kind of passive aggressive behaviors, all of those are driven emotionally. And as I said, the emotional brain, it doesn't like change because the emotional brain is part of our fight or flight system that's there to protect us. Right. So, you know, just like if it hears wind wrestling in the bushes in the jungle and, it, and, and the brain thinks, oh, tiger, when it hears change, it thinks, oh, tiger, it amplifies the negative right. and we assume the worst. And so we and then we react and we move into a fight or flight response. So the fight looks like resistance. The fight looks like not being open to change. The fight looks like, you know, oh, well, we've done that before. We've tried that before. Um, the flight, which is almost worse, looks like that passive resistance, that, you know, nodding and agreeing, but then not really engaging, being, in, in, in fact, being actively disengaged. Right. And again, all of that is driven if, if, if we're not connecting to the emotions, if people don't feel that their emotions, that what they're going through is really heard, heard and understood. So if people aren't feeling heard, if people's emotional needs aren't being met, they're going to resist their emotional brain. They're, they're not even going to realize they're doing it, but their emotional <laughs> brain is going to cause them to do it. So again, if organizations can understand and equip the people that are influencing change with these kinds of emotional intelligence skills to not only manage themselves, but to demonstrate empathy, to influence 
to connect to those emotions that are causing others to resist, right. that will have a huge impact on the success of change efforts. I think one of my favorite uh, visuals I've always had with change is the, the graph that looks at the productivity curve and then you see the emotional points along the way. Yeah. Because um, it really does show that change is is personal. Even if it's something that's a broader change, it's going to have a personal impact. And people go through their seven stages of grief, depending on a lot of their personality traits and, and, yeah. and risk versions and things like that. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, and again, I mean, people are all wired differently. You know, you have the people that are jumping in, love change, you know, believe in this particular change, want to want to help and support you know, all the way down to the people that are, you know, actively resisting, right? Uh, you know, right. It's, and so there, there's a wide range of how people respond. Um, and so again, to be able to recognize that all change is personal, that's why we called that program, gave it that name. Right. And to right. be able to connect to those emotions that are driving that other person, because you mentioned wanting to change behaviors, emotions drive behavior. Mm-hmm. And so if we're going to try to change behavior, get people to engage in change, we have to get to those emotions driving that change or driving those behaviors. So that's why emotional intelligence is so important, particularly, and it's so important in so many ways, but especially in change efforts. Right. Cause usually when we talk about the, the driving new behaviors, you always get the what's in it for me aspect. We don't really dig deeper into understanding the motivators and the emotional reactions people are having because yep. it's a lot more, it's, it's more complicated than that. So. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. So I know looking at change in itself, um, how does emotional intelligence help one be better in that last 8% moment of, of change or, or work? Okay, well, well, thank you for bringing up the concept of last 8%. Um, not everyone <laughs> may understand what that means. So let me just take a moment and explain mm-hmm. what that means. Um, it's actually a concept that my business partner and the founder of, of, of our company came up with. Um, And uh, his name is Dr. J.P. Fry, and he was coaching two uh, senior executives at an organization, and they weren't getting along very well. And so he had coached them to have a conversation with each other. After the conversation, he gets back on coaching calls with them, and he asks them, how did it go? Like, oh, it went great. And then J.P. digs a little deeper and says, well, you know, did you really say everything that you wanted to say? Well, actually, you know, I got kind of 88, 92% of the way there. And he started reacting. And so I kind of pulled back a little bit. I didn't really say everything I needed to say. I didn't say that really critical part, that last 8%, the part that really needed to be said. Right. And both individuals, you know, basically said that. And so, so often in a difficult conversation, we avoid saying the hardest part of it. But we often fool ourselves that we have the conversation. The other person thinks we have the conversation. And then we wonder why behavior doesn't change. So getting to that last 8%, now, there are the people that avoid the last 8%, but there's also the people that go charging into it and make a mess of it. Either way, when there's a last 8% moment, there's going to be cortisol in people's brains because there's pressure, and that cortisol is our stress hormone. It also causes memories to sear in, to really be intensely remembered. And so that's how, where, our, where our leadership reputation gets established. So those moments, those last 8% moments are more critical than the other 92% of moments. That's why you can do something well nine times, but that one time you messed it up, that's what everyone remembers. Right. Because 
that I was being seared, the cortisol caused it to sear into their memories. Hmm. Now, as we workshop this, we found people actually came to us and said, well, there's more than last 8% conversations. There's last 8% decisions. There's the 92% of decisions that everybody agrees with and everybody's happy. But then there's those last 8% where someone's project isn't getting funded or someone you know, doesn't like the outcome or someone's going to be unhappy. And again, sometimes we avoid those decisions or we make a mess of it and we don't connect to the emotional impact, right? We only, we just go through and announce the change and don't get to the personal impact. And then finally, there's last 8% tasks. There's those difficult tasks. Maybe it's giving a presentation. Maybe it's having to fill out expense forms. But the things that, again, cause our, cause emotions to come up, and this is where emotions come in again, right? In last 8% moments, emotions get triggered. That's really what defines a last 8% moment is when our emotions get triggered. Right. And that's kind of the make or break. That is also the point that because of the emotional charge, <coughs> there's that chance for, for making true change and how people think about things um, yep. and making it be something that sticks with them. And it's probably also like the most vulnerable moment to be able to really drive that yeah. in and, and that understanding and movement forward. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're right. It's a moment that we might avoid or make a mess. But our whole, we, we have a last 8% academy, a whole training course around this. And the whole point is to actually turn those last 8% moments into opportunities. Because if you can approach those skillfully mm-hmm. and show up in a way that, that people respect and where they feel validated and they feel heard and they understand why you made the decision you made or they're willing to listen to the conversation. Like if, if you think of exceptional leaders that you've had, you'd be willing to listen to their feedback. You'd be open to it. And so when we show up in that way, it has a hugely positive impact. So that's the whole idea of our last 8% Academy is to teach people to be able to approach these difficult, challenging moments more skillfully. Thank you. Um, The next kind of question is there's, emotional intelligence, but there's also social intelligence. And and sometimes you see a lot of confusion between the two of them. Um, How do you differentiate between them? Yeah, I have to be honest. I'm not clear on the difference myself. I've read the book, Social Intelligence. um, And and I I think what uh, Dan Goldman was was trying to, to expand on is his first book, Emotional Intelligence, was much more about, remember I defined emotional intelligence at the beginning about being having the two parts to it being about self initially. I think his, his, his initial books were really focused more on that self-emotional management. Now, he, he talked about emotional connection and, and empathy and those sorts of things, um, but I think in social intelligence, he just really wanted to expand on the social impact of managing emotions or when we don't manage emotions, and that there's a whole, you know, there's a whole culture that gets created. So, for example, a leader might create a culture where there isn't psychological safety for giving feedback or sharing ideas, which stifles innovation. Whereas a leader who can create a psychological safety where people can challenge it. So they hear about a change, let's take change, for example, they hear they're willing to challenge it. They're willing to express their concerns. The leader can address them. And then those don't become things that that resist. So, So this whole social intelligence is also about creating a culture where strong emotions can exist, where people can express frustrations, they can express concerns, and they can then be addressed skillfully. So, you know, again, I'm not an expert on the sort of emotional versus social intelligence, but that's my understanding of the difference. 
And it always seems like when I was a sociology major in grad school, and people always ask you, what's the difference between psychology and sociology? Mm -hmm. Psychology is about the individual, right? So it's about individual emotions, individual interactions. Whereas sociology sounds more like social intelligence, which is about group dynamics. Yeah, Uh, Culture is a huge aspect, norms, behaviors, and being aware of that context, I think, for for the rest of that, maybe. Yeah, and I think the other other part um, you just kind of talked about is this whole there's a whole system of emotions of, of, of and the way our brains respond so a great example is harvard did an interesting study where they would have two people in a room and they would be uh, wired up to measure their, their galvanic skin response time so how quickly they would react emotionally they would have a third person walk in the room in a dominant emotional state and they would see how quickly the other two people reacted emotionally before the third person said anything right and you've all, you know, everyone's had that experience. Someone comes up to their desk or, or they show up on Zoom <laughs> in the case of COVID and there's something wrong and you can tell. And even before they say anything, you're reacting emotionally. You're triggered. You're not at your best. You know, yet they don't even realize they've impacted you. And then you might turn around and you might impact someone else. So there's this whole system of emotions. That get it was actually less than 10 seconds was the time it took for the other people to react emotionally before the third person even said anything. I think there's a great um, cue about how much of our language is, is actually not verbal, right? Yes. Especially when we're talking about strong emotions and, and how we're in subconsciously pick up on all that information and it just kind of spreads like wildfire that way. So, Oh, we all know someone can give us that judgmental look <laughs> and they don't need to say anything yet. Now we're feeling judged and right. now we're reacting emotionally because that feels like a criticism or that feels like a put down. And, you know, that that's because again, the emotional system is there to protect us. Right. So when we're in the jungle, that serves us. Because when we're in the jungle and a tiger jumps out at us, it doesn't have time to think, gee, how can I best collaborate and influence the tiger? Right. It needs to react and respond right away. And it sends chemicals into our body and our brain, reduces our working memory. So it reduces our cognitive functioning yep. and puts us in fight or flight mode. Well, that's great in the jungle, but now when we're in it, we're sitting in our office and we're on a Zoom call and somebody's giving us a judgmental look, we don't want that same emotional response. Or somebody's telling us about a change that we don't agree with, we don't want that same fight or flight response just to happen. We don't want those chemicals in our body. We don't want that reduction in our thinking capacity because then we're not as open. We can't hear about the change. We're more likely to resist. And so absolutely, that's, that, that's critical. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah. Um, as far as kind of the emotional IQ goes, what are some of the biggest misunderstandings you think people have about it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the first one, and, and this is getting a little bit better, but um, you know, I, I have degrees in mathematics and computer science. So particularly for people that are very logical and analytical, emotional intelligence can sound soft and squishy. You know, it can sound like it's so oh, it's just about getting people to like you and being nice to everyone. And that is so far from the truth. First of all, there's so much research behind recognizing that people who are high in emotional intelligence, that is correlated with higher performance, with higher positive impact, with better relationships, even with overall happiness. And, and that's, that's the other thing, and, and maybe we'll talk about this in just a moment. Um, emotional intelligence doesn't just apply at work, <laughs> right? I mean, everything that people learn about being emotionally intelligent, so many people, you know, the more, the more important application is at home, right, in our, in our personal relationships. Um, so there is real research 
just suggest that to say that people that are high in emotional intelligence are, are more successful. Teams that are high in emotional intelligence are more effective, more productive, more profitable. Um, and the other thing that, that I think, you know, your members will really appreciate when they see the keynote is talking about the brain science. So there's brain science to it. So that's really what, attra- again, as a guy with degrees in mathematics, computer science, what really attracted me to our work was that it wasn't mm-hmm. just a bunch of soft and squishy theoretical stuff. There was actually this brain science to it that helped me understand and recognize, yeah, that, that happens to me, right? My brain does have that response and that reaction. And you know what? I'm not at my best when I have that reaction. I'm sometimes making a mess of things. And that, that affects my reputation. Do you know what? Yeah, I do want to get better at that. Mm-hmm. And so I think, I, I, I think organizations are starting to get better at recognizing that it isn't soft and squishy, but that's still a myth um, that's out there for some people. Well, I know, especially if you look at emotional intelligence and groups that have, have have high emotional intelligence tend to be a lot more flexible, better at collaborating, better at finding information. And, and we also just did a study on strategic practices, strategic planning practices and org agility. And mm-hmm. one of the big correlation factors was groups that have high levels of efficient collaboration and networking yeah. um, make them much more agile. So it helped build in all of those things organizations need today anyway to stay flexible to be able to solve problems quickly and, and get, get the best problem. So, Oh, you're right. I mean, individuals and teams that are high in EQ, they, they innovate more effectively. They drive the change that comes with innovation more effectively. They perform more effectively. Absolutely. There's just so much research now. Um, there's really no, there, there's no doubt that, that, you know, emotional intelligence, you know, is a critical competency for effective, you know, performance and leadership. Um, Another myth people have is that you know you're, you're kind of born with high EQ or low EQ, right? And certainly there are you know factors in our upbringing that can affect our emotional intelligence. But the good news is is that the emotional part of the brain it can learn, whereas your brainstem it can't learn. So yeah. for example, you know the brainstem manages your body temperature. You can't say, hey, the room is cold. I'd like to raise my body temperature. Be really cool if we could, right? <laughs> my wife and I would get along so much better, right? <laughs> but that's a whole other discussion. Um, so the brainstem can't change. But the emotional part of the brain, which is centered in the small almond-sized part of the brain called the amygdala, it can learn. So if I have a defensive reaction to getting criticized, that's like that's a neural pathway. It's like water running over over rock it gets grooved in somebody criticizes me i react i get defensive well i'm not stuck with that if, if i can learn to recognize what's happening in my body and my brain when i feel that criticism and then apply a technique to help me be more skillful and not be defensive i develop a new neural pathway new new it's like water running over a new you know, new part of the rock so the brain is is you know there's neuroplasticity in the emotional part of the brain so you can learn and, and actually being open to critical feedback is something that I used to be really bad at. I've actually had people tell me now they can't believe how good I am at receiving critical feedback. Right. Now that doesn't mean it doesn't kind of sting a little bit, right? but I'm able to manage it, stay open, recognize that the person's trying to be helpful or they're going through something and not react and respond. Now, you know, if, if, if it was handled really ineffectively, then I might have to have a last 8% conversation with the person about how they gave me the feedback. 
But most times, the person's trying, they're doing their best, and I just try really hard to be open to the feedback. But that is a part of my brain, an emotional response that I've been able to change. I've been able to develop that new neural pathway. So emotional intelligence is not fixed. It, it is, it, you know, you're not either made or, or born with it. You can improve and get better. And that's a myth that um, you know, I would absolutely want to debunk. Well, and that helps us because we're doing these in emotional situations by rewiring the pathways that we tend to go to. Yeah. When we're in that fixed and narrow vision, we're going to default. Yep. So whichever pathway we have developed at that point in time is the one that we will automatically go into. That's right. So for example, with change, mm-hmm. some people are just wired that when there's change, they immediately resist. Right. That's their natural, it's like they're fighting a tiger. That's their natural emotional response. Well, we're not stuck with that response. We can learn to manage that emotional response, keep our working memory, keep our cognitive function, and be more open to the change. It doesn't mean giving in. Right. But it doesn't mean just agreeing with the change that we that we don't like, but it means we can be more we can be more open to it. And then if we are going to respond and express concerns or give feedback about the change, we can do it more skillfully. We're not doing it emotionally. We're doing it cognitively, right? We're doing it from our best thinking. We're doing it. We're we're having a more strategic discussion as opposed to a reactive discussion. Well, and that's kind of one of the questions and moving. And we talked a lot about EIQ as far as like the organization. Um, but where do people usually stumble when they start trying to improve theirs? Okay. Sorry, where do they stumble? Oh, wait, where do people, as people are trying to like actively change their emotional IQ and build it, mm-hmm. where do they tend to usually have their roadblocks or stumbling as they're trying to do this? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's in that moving from self-awareness to emotional management. So, mm-hmm. um, the, you know, your members will walk out of my keynote having gained a significant amount of self-awareness of how their emotional brain reacts. What are some of their less than skillful default behaviors? What are some of their triggers? You know, where are some opportunities to improve, to approach those last 8% moments? You know, how are they showing up in their last 8% moments? They'll have learned an emotional management strategy, mm-hmm. putting it into practice. And kind of the expectation that, wow, you know, I'm just going to go away. I'm going to do this right away. Well, guess what? This is not like some formula for a spreadsheet you can just plug in. Our default responses, I mean, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 years of, you know, seared into our brain. Um, So I think sometimes people go away, they have a couple experiences where they don't, aren't able to apply the emotional management technique to the degree they wanted, and they get frustrated and they give up. Right. As opposed to recognizing that even the knowledge that, oh, I got triggered. I had an emotional response. I moved to a default behavior. That's progress because that's self-awareness. Right. So just even knowing, right? And then, you know, using some of the tools and not giving up and continuing to try. The other thing is, is, you know, people, people think they're going to be able to be more skillful in their most critical last 8% moments, right? Like with the, the, the person that triggers them the most, like I'm suddenly going to be able to be skillful with that person as opposed to practicing in some of the less triggering situations. Right. So some jerk cuts me off on the highway. <laughs> well, rather than driving up behind them, you know, and doing something dangerous, I'm going to stay calm. I'm going to relax. I'm going to practice my breathing. I used to, I used to practice in traffic because like, traffic used to drive me crazy. I still don't love traffic, but I don't let it get me triggered. I don't let it get all those chemicals, chemicals going in my body. I don't let it get me all triggered. So, you know, I, I think the other thing is people want to use it right away in their most intense 
last eight percent moments, as opposed to you know practicing and, and and building up those skills. It's it's the whole walk before you run. Right. Okay. Yeah. There's a, there's always that immediate gratification. You're like, okay, I've learned a skill. I've learned self awareness. Now I should be yeah. able to tackle anything without really thinking about much like any craft. It takes time. Yeah, and it takes practice and, and yeah. building up and getting more confident and changing yeah. how you behave. So, and, and, and the best thing you can do is, is get a coach. Okay. And whether it's one of our coaches or you get a peer coach or find a mentor, it, it's so hard to hold ourselves accountable to things like this to behavior change. Mm-hmm. I mean, I do this for a living, and it's hard for me. Whenever I have something that I'm working on, I I, I have my my business partner JP, you know, act as my coach. I'm, I'm fortunate; I have one of the world's you know best performance coaches he coaches olympic athletes and navy seals and you know so i get to have him as my coach um so i'm fortunate but um yeah absolutely if if you want to change a behavior and you're struggling with it get a coach and that kind of leads to the last question i've got for you today which is are there any little simple things people can do to start cultivating their eiq yeah i mean absolutely i mean you know just start researching it Start watching some videos, start reading about it. You know, our website, IHHP.com, Institute for Health and Human Potential, IHHP.com has lots of great videos, lots of great articles. So you can just start reading and learning about it. Um, you know, again, your members are fortunate. They're going to come to my keynote presentation. They're going to get some really powerful initial learning. Um, and then I would encourage, and then I would encourage people to, you know, if, if they feel that there's enough value in it for them to invest in some training. Um, hopefully your organization will pay for it. I mean, many people have their own you know, personal training budgets. Um, we offer great training programs, both, you know, live online and, and, and digital. Um, and so, you know, look, whether it's us or someone else, um, you know, invest in yourself, uh, invest in some training. Great. Well, thank you very much, Bill, for your time and your insights. Um, thank you all for listening to this APQC podcast. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to APQC's podcast and visit APPC.org to learn more. And I hope you all have a great rest of your day. Yep, same here. Have a great day.